Hello and welcome to Witchy Wellness Radio. I'm your host, Lauren Cholantani, women's holistic health coach and fellow recovering perfectionist. This podcast was created to show you that your body is not in the way, it is actually leading your way. Welcome back, everybody. You are listening to episode 164, Your Biological Age with Nina Laust. While I was manifesting and living my dream life, I know that it includes mind, body, and soul health, which means ditching the toxic people, the toxic work environment, and the products that are wrecking havoc on you and your goals. One simple change I did years ago was to switch my cleaning and laundry skincare routine from some crap to something more powerful, potent, and pure. So if you are interested in learning more about that and how essential oils can help you ditch all the toxic crap, mind, body, and soul, and yes, it does help promote better feeling emotions and lessen that anxiety, join me and my team every Monday on Zoom at either 2 p.m. or 8 p.m. Easterns for our intro to essential oils class. A different teacher will be guiding you each week and it's great for beginners or even a good refresh on the top 10 essential oils that you can use to revamp and cleanse your life. RSVP in the show notes in that link to save your spot and make sure you say Lauren Talentani sent you while spots are unlimited. Make sure to book and reserve your spot today. Please enjoy episode 164, Your Biological Age with Nina Laust. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Witchy Wellness Radio. This is a show you get to learn how your body and your emotions are not in the way, but actually leading the way. And today we have the wonderful Nicolina or Nina Laus, who's here to talk about longevity. She is a successful serial entrepreneur and CEO and founder of Glycan Age. Nina co-founded several startups in the field of fashion, travel, consumer health, scaling into from one customer to multi-million dollar revenue with no investor backing. That is amazing. As an outsider to biotech, she's already uncovered a novel application for existing technology that was missed by over 50 scientists in a research lab. She's the co-inventor of the one patent in women's health diagnostic space. Glycan Age was founded on a promise that healthcare should start with us caring about our health before we encounter a particular problem. That one sentence is simple, but is powerful. And I 100% agree with that. Welcome to the show, Nina. Hey, Lauren. Thank you for having me on the podcast. You're so welcome. I'm excited to jump into what what you do, what what is Glycon Age. And I know we have a, a few specific topics to talk about you know, women's health and what that means with this research. But as a serial entrepreneur, we love entrepreneur stories on here. We have many on. Um, how did you go from, you know, the fashion and travel industry to now working in, you know, in healthcare and wellness? What, what was that? What sparked your, your interest in switching industries? That's a very long story, but I was very entrepreneurial from early, early days. So from kindergarten, honestly, I, I would think I was collecting tadpoles and growing them into little frogs and 
and selling them to kids at kindergarten. So, and I actually wanted to be a zoologist or a veterinarian. I loved animals. I loved looking after them or just observing them. So I thought that you know, this was my number one passion. Uh, but then I'm also highly dyslexic. So although my whole family are scientists, uh, my mother's a neuro, uh, neuroscientist, my father's a glycobiologist, I, and I don't think there's anybody, apart from this generation, nobody before us uh, didn't have a PhD. Uh, but I ended up going to art school, but all the way from my teens to uni to after I had my own businesses. And uh, before uni, my teens, there was a dance school in, from 14 to, to 17. And then 18, I had a, a official LTD company registered, and that was for graphic design. Um, and uh, event marketing, and then in uni, I uh, I went to a, a like a software development uh, course at the same time. Although I was studying fine art, and I programmed a platform for peer-to-peer secondhand clothes exchange. So that was fashion. That was really sustainability. I think I think it never really took off because I'm not the best fashion person. I, I like the sustainable part, but I can't say I'm a good fashion person. Um, and then the last one was. Um, I, Every summer, I would take a summer job in the tourism industry to, to pay for my uni. So I had this kind of experience in the uh, travel hospitality side. So I developed a platform, which was a, a software as a service for the travel industry, which integrated all of the uh, sales channels. And then later on, there, there was another company that was like a, a platform. And I think our the key takeaway, although it was software and they had even a a big on-the-ground floor side and, and a hospitality part, it was really just making foreigners feel at home in a foreign place. So that was what I enjoyed about the business. I don't think I, uh, I think all the other parts from the tech to the, you know, property, I think they were interesting, but I enjoyed always the human part. And with this new, well, let's say new business. This is um, about 11 years ago, my uh, so my father has a research lab, which is actually the largest lab for glycan analysis in the world. So we analyze more human glycan than the rest of the world combined, or, or his lab did. And about 11 years ago, he told me I can measure biological aging. And I was 19 at the time, so I didn't really care about aging. I was, If anything, I was trying to hide how old I was. I would say I was... I think I was 25 for about five, five, six years at least. So... Um, I didn't really understand it, but he's been pitching it to me for, for a long time. And I would always go on the scientific conferences and, and enjoy them. And finally, I got it. And he had a great pitch for me as well. So he, uh, I was somewhere in the middle of my other startup. It was doing really, really well. So we were scaling super fast. It was, uh, it, it, it was, it was great. But I can't say that I was 100% uh, inspired for the long run. It, it got a little bit boring. Although the financial success was great, it, it got a little bit boring at one point. And then he pitched me saying, do you want to be you know, renting properties for the rest of your life or do you want to do something that nobody else in the world can be doing right now? Uh, and that's what, it still took me some time, but it sold me in. Uh, and then I joined about two years ago. I also invested. So I'm our biggest angel at the moment. Um, and we scaled we're across 40 different countries now where simple tests you can do at home uh, to measure how fast you're aging. And we do that by looking at the immune system. So this was a complete accident. These are glycobiologists. They were not looking for aging. 
in, in any way. But whenever they looked at, because first in research, you usually start with the disease because that's when you have uh, the clinical trials. And whatever condition they looked at, they had to know the age of a person for it to make sense because aging was the strongest signal. So you saw this type of aging, but they didn't know what type of aging it is. So when they first modeled it, they thought, okay, maybe we're looking at chronological age. Maybe it can be applied to forensic purposes. And they tried to model because also this um, uh, the lab was based in Croatia. It is based in Croatia. So we had the, it was a long story, but there was a war 30 years ago and there was a lot of identification of war. Uh, victims, and that's how the lab started first as genetic lab. Uh, but glycans have nothing to do with DNA, and with the glycans, they saw this aging signal. So they thought, okay, let me ma- let let's map it out and see if we can measure a person's age. And that wasn't very accurate because it can be uh, ten. Well, it was good, the best measure at the time when they found it, which was over eleven years ago now. But it was ten years, nine years up or down, so it wasn't very specific. But it's good to know if. Um, um, and then they realized they're looking at biological age because when they looked at this difference of why somebody is older or younger, it will correlate with all of these uh, markers of healthy or unhealthy life. So it was some type of aging that is based on how healthy we are. And then they had a big question for years first. And, and this is why I don't think it was viable years ago because we can measure it, but we didn't know if you can change it. So five years ago, we can tell you, can you do something about it? We can say, okay, we can measure aging but we didn't know if you can control it, change it, influence it. Now we know you can. And you can do it with very simple lifestyle intervention and literally control your future health. Uh, so that's what we're doing right now. Wow, yeah, that, that's definitely more inspiring than anything I can think of, of showing people, here's where you are biologically from your immune system, and here's how you can, you can do something about it now. You You can change, you can lifestyle changes you can you can heal yourself really and that's that's part of why this podcast was started is sharing all sorts of different ways emotionally physically spiritually how you can heal and take your health and in your your happiness back into your back into your own hands um so could you explain in a very lame layman's term a little more in depth like what? What is a glycan age? You know, I know you you mentioned it has to do with your immune system, but in simple terms, how can you guys determine that age range? What, what is what are you actually measuring? Because I think we might. I don't even really know what a glycan actually is. If you could explain, maybe start there. <laughs> yeah, that that's number one. So let's start there. Glycans are sugars, so they're complex carbohydrates and when we say sugars it's nothing to do with the sugars you think about so it's nothing to do with the sugars you eat it's nothing to do with how your body responds to the simple sugars you eat so nothing to do with glucose or uh, hba1c it's sugars are a structural component of your cells so all of your proteins have them one way you are familiar with them is you have a blood group so you have an abo blood group and the glycans on the blood cells define your blood group but we don't just have them on blood cells. We have them on every single cell. We have them in the gut. We have them on uh, fat cells. We have them on the immune system. And on the immune system, we look at antibodies. Luckily now, because of COVID, everybody knows what an antibody is. So it's, uh, it's the adaptive immune system. And um, these 
Sugar is around, and we look at the most prevalent antibody in blood, which is IgG. So it's about 70% of all of the antibodies you produce, and it's a main weapon uh, in, in your immune system. And then the glycans around this antibody change how it works. And one thing that most people don't know is it also has an anti-inflammatory property. So it can create inflammation, but it can also suppress inflammation. So it has both of these features. And then as we are aging, the composition of glycan changes, where you have more of the ones which activate inflammation. So you have this low-grade chronic inflammation that just naturally goes up with age. It doesn't, we call it sterile inflammation because it doesn't necessarily have a infectious cause. It's just always there. And you lose the ones which suppress inflammation, which means that if you come across a threat, which can be a foreign pathogen, but it can also be your own cells, uh, you can overreact to it. So you create this going from autoimmunity, but most chronic conditions also have an inflammatory, um, uh, inflammatory baseline, uh, and you underreact to the right thing. So you don't, uh, or you don't suppress this inflammation fast enough. So there's a misconception that as you age, you have a less active immune system. That's not true. You have a less functioning immune system. So it's overactive in the wrong way. It's underactive in the way it should be. And then this is moldable. So that, that was the first question. Now we haven't, of course, we haven't studied everything. So we, we, we don't know all the different ways you can influence it yet, but we always find new ways. And when we started was diet and exercise. And that was a very long time ago. So it was 2015 and there was a nursing home and then they put them on a bit of a diet and exercise. And we saw it move in a positive way, which said, great, this type of aging we can change. So we can do something about it. Um, and then the second thing we did, we actually actually looked at exercise or going to the gym for the first time. And because I think now longevity is changing and it's getting a lot more to the younger population. So we have a lot of uh, interesting customers who are in their 20s and, or maybe 21 and they care, but I didn't care at 21. Uh, but the majority of them are going towards uh, late 30s, 40s. Uh, upwards of 60s as well. But about 65, usually there's a cliff. You, you stop caring as much. Um, so that's that's the demographic. So we did this exercise study in a cohort of a 1,000 people uh, from age 40 to 60. They never went to the gym before. So that was their uh, going from a sedentary life in, in the gym for the first time. And actually, they kept getting older. And we were very confused because we had this positive study. And then we had this very negative study. And we kept following them for, for the year, even I think a bit more, and they kept getting older. We, we were so confused what was going on. And then later, and these were all also young PTs, training them as, you know, they would train somebody a bit younger in the gym. So they were overtraining them and they put them on a diet at the same time. Uh, a diet that was, you know, a calories in, calories out, the, the old concept of how you lose weight or become fitter. And what we learned that for the immune system, that doesn't work. If you restrict your calories and do high intensity exercise, it creates inflammation and it creates chronic inflammation that's negative, not just the uh, acute one, which can be good, but the chronic one, which stays for a longer period of time. And it's not just based on glycans. So yes, the glycans change, the antibodies don't function, but also the other immune cells, gene expression. For women, they suppress their hormones which is why a lot of the pro athletes lose their cycle and they lose bone density. So if you're looking at aging, 
in overexercise mimics menopause and mimics osteopenia. And we all think it's so good for us, <laughs> but there's, but it is, it's just the level of it needs to be good. So when we looked at the smaller sports cohorts, we saw that if you're doing just interval training, uh, you have a, you get younger within a couple of months. So exercise is good. And one way it's good is the same as you said, you activate the body's natural system to fix itself. So when we create stress and it's acute stress, so it's, we, we put our body into hormesis, positive stress, it fixes itself or we wake up the system we have internally to repair uh, ourselves and make the tissue a little bit younger. Uh, the skin industry knows this really well. Everybody's doing the microneedling. Same thing. You're damaging the skin so you can, so it grows, you, you build younger skin, but it also works internally. So if you're putting short stress in yourself, like cold, potentially we've done research, but most probably works like uh, like um, intermittent exercise and any type of fasting, any other type of uh, short acute stress, then that's positive. But if you're doing, if you're creating more stress than the body can repair, then you're just accumulating damage. So with exercise, if you do caloric restriction and intense exercise at the same time, you have a negative change. But if you do both of those things and recover enough, then you move your glycans and your biological age moves in a positive way. So it's really a level and it's very individual. But what then made us aware of is there's so many misconceptions of how we get healthy. And because we don't measure them, we can spend all of these years on these extreme diets, exercise regimes, and actually be working against our long-term health, which I would say is not the reason we started doing it. Yeah, I, people who still think calories in, calories out mentality, not all calories are created equal. I will say that there's much more <laughs> to nutrition. You know, there's there's fad diets every which way, every few years we see a new one cycling, but I think it's a Michael Pollan quote. It's eat food, mostly plants. Um, I forget the rest of it, but it's like eat real food, mostly plants and you'll feel better. Um, that's how I, we don't, you know, I don't, I don't feel like a lot of people who do the fad diets, that's why they're called fad diets. You might do it for a little bit. You might feel better, but long-term as your research has shown, you're actually aging more and you don't like how you feel and you end up quitting and, you know, the cycle of not nice things to yourself that you, you, you can get healthy, but not in the way that traditionally people, people are thinking. Um, I did want to kind of um, switch the conversation from working out and stuff, but why are glycans so important for treating biological aging and age-related diseases. So if we we can tell the age, but can we tell if if there is some sort of disease there, can once we see a boost in glycans, can we see a correlation with age-related diseases going down? Yeah, so the biological age is not disease-specific. There's a lot of potential in glycans to be not diag diagnostic, but prognostic, so they would change. And we have a lot of disease research, it's just until that reaches the market, it goes through a lot of heavy regulation. So that will come in the next couple of years. Uh, but what's exciting for, about them from the research side is that any disease we looked at, if you had a person before and then after the disease has happened, 
we see that glycans change up to a decade before you're diagnosed with disease. So with rheumatoid arthritis, where we know also the glycans can be causal of the disease, we can see them change a decade before you develop it. For hypertension, we see the glycans change seven years before you develop it. It's insulin resistance as well, we see it change seven years before you develop insulin resistance. So you have a very long time frame to respond and actually prevent something from happening rather than what we do in medicine now. And even all the uh, biomarkers, the blood tests we run, you, you're only looking for a certain organ that's not working. And then you call it something. So you call it a disease. But actually on the molecular level, it starts way before that organ starts to malfunction. And that's where they play a key role. Um, and because it's the immune system, it grow, goes across everything. So there's so many connections that we didn't think, for example, hypertension, uh, cardiovascular disease, it's hugely connected. Also any hormonal imbalances, menopause, it's, it's hugely connected. And I think that was also one thing we saw in the last year, how many of the symptoms overlapped with uh, hormone deficiency or menopause symptoms of uh, long COVID and so forth, but also how it, how it would influence our cycles, which we didn't really talk about much before then. Um, another thing, all autoimmune diseases are obviously connected to it, but also metabolic diseases uh, as well, which was all, it, it, when you piece it all together, it's the main thing that kind of keeps us alive. So it gets involved in both protecting us, but also creating all these problems uh, that, that, that happen as, as you age. And also, uh, apart from this data, which is disease specific, where certain glycans would be predictive of certain diseases, which we don't report in the commercial test. Um, also, the general acceleration of biological age is predictive of your future health. And there was a recent study where we analyzed the glycans, but it was independent. So it was done by Edinburgh University. And they looked at all the different ways you can measure aging at the moment. And that was um, metabolism, proteins, uh, it was methylation. Uh, they had two methylation clocks. There was something called clinomics, which is all the, the clinical biomarkers you do at your doctors. And then they model the aging algorithm on top of it. And glycans were the most predictive of future hospital hospitalization with 10 years time frame. And that was a biobank with a thousand people with a very broad age range. So they were from age 16 to 100. And the, glyca the accelerated glycan age was most predictive of hospitalization from the broadest uh, range of causes. Uh, metabolics were also predictive, but they were risk specific. So they were not general aging. Methylation was general aging, but it wasn't predictive of future hospitalization. So they're very powerful if you want to predict your future health from a general view, from an aging view, and then also very movable with the things you're doing. So as you said, uh, with diets, the nutrition is a, is a whole different beast to, to exercise. So we know that weight loss reduces your glycan age or your immune age. Also, we call it infra-age. So that's accumulation of this low-grade chronic inflammation, which then leads to aging and age-related diseases. Uh, caloric restriction reduces it. But then we looked at diets, so we thought, okay, let's find this one diet that everybody should be on that works great. And we looked at uh, a thousand people on five different diets, so 200 something in uh, 200 in each. And in each of these groups of diets, so low, even a high carb diet, you had half people change positively and half people change negatively. So we're actually very unique in how we respond to different foods. So there's no one diet. 
uh, they will fit the salt. One potential general rule, as you said, if you improve your microbiome, you improve. So if you improve the immune system in your gut, you improve the immune system in your blood as well. And that's something we know from hard clinical data, which is uh, fecal microbiome transplants, which not everybody should do, but you can improve your microbiome with eating more vegetables. And we even had a few biohackers do this as an experiment uh, where they already had a great score. They were doing everything right. Access, everything was great. So there was very little they could improve. Uh, so they tried eating 30 different types of plants uh, per week. And within three months, they had, like, it was a six years reduction for this one gut. So it, improving your microbiome does work and we very much underestimate it. And I think one reason is also understanding why that happened. And it's also about the type of plant. So that's, I think, one thing we don't talk about. But if you're eating local seasonal plants, then you're informing your immune system by your environment. Because the first response to anything foreign, which can be a new food, is inflammation. But if you know about what's your what's in your environment, so because it's been local soil, then you have a more informed immune system that creates less inflammation. So it's not just about plants, it's also about hopefully help, healthy local plants, um, which potentially has a better impact. Yeah, and I think eating locally and in season, the plants taste so much better. Like the, the flavor and it's just like juicy. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And from an allergy standpoint, I started doing this years ago with vegetables, but also honey. I would buy local honey as well because they're pollinating from local flowers to help my immune system and my allergies get used to the, the local flowering plants. And that I think that's helped a lot too. Um, so there's so, I'm like blown away by this. So can you go, go through the process of like, if you want to get your own glycanase tested, what that process looks like, um, you know, getting the results back. Um, me as my perfectionist self is probably expecting, well, if my biological age isn't at least what I am chronologically or lower, you know, what? how can we prepare people who think they're healthy that, you know, <laughs> might get an yeah. age range where they might not like it. <laughs> Well, it is very personal. So what we find is that a result, it's not like any other blood test. It's something that can be a little bit like a personal insult. Even if you are not healthy, if you get a higher score, you don't like that you got a higher score. So it's actually very motivating in terms of behavioral change. And we see a very good influence. So we didn't expect this, but both when clinicians use it and when, we, when consumers buy it, and each of our tests comes with a consultation with a doctor, but it's focused on lifestyle interventions. So they all have additional training in nutrition or exercise. So they can really advise you a lot more than the general GP. They are highly motivated to follow this uh, protocol, <laughs> which is really good. And then we calculate how many years we reduced as a company. And although we don't have uh, you know, a huge amount of customers, we, we reduced about around a thousand years of uh, glycan aging, which we know is then a thousand more years of extra healthy life for our consumers. And all of them is them being highly motivated to do something about it. Um, and yes, when it's not what you expect, it's a little bit of a shock, but it's also about understanding that we don't know everything now. And if you have new information, which goes against what you knew before, well, that's what science is for. That's why it exists. Admitting I don't know everything, or I had a 
misconception and now I learned something new and therefore I benefit in the long run. So I wouldn't say that it should be off-putting, although sometimes, yes, when you're health specialist, it's a little bit harder to convince them. But luckily, we have this great team of specialist consultants and each test is interpreted by them. So they can tackle all, all the hard cases pretty well. And also when you can explain why and you can references to, to, to good research, then uh, I think, well, we see most people respond positively to it and we see them come back and improve their results. So we had a nutritionist who was a very one of the very early customers who was eight years older. And he was a certified nutritionist, very healthy guy, super fit, very upset that it wasn't, it wasn't what he thought. But he also had some symptoms uh, of IBS. And that was probably connected to his nutritional uh, education uh, because everybody was then talking about elimination diet. And it, it, it's still here, but we know that from the microbiome perspective, if you're eliminating foods and you're not putting foods back in, you minimize the diversity in the gut. And then that doesn't really prepare you for environment in your everyday life. And that creates more inflammation and uh, health problems in the future, which was something that was a misconception in nutrition. It was just about eliminating things. And then you go to the shop and there's only five things you can eat and you don't have this diversity. And there was even a nice story of a microbiome company in the UK who did a conference where they tested 20 of UK's top nutritionists and their microbiome, and they tested 20 of the guys in the lab. And then when the results came in, the guys in the lab who ate everything and anything, they were not nutrition experts, had better microbiome than the top UK nutritionists. And the conclusion was, is this misconception about elimination diets, diversity of food, diversity. So you have, you're prepared. To, and also, I think there is a misconception with some of the intolerance theories. And of course, we can be intolerant and react to, particularly gluten can create a lot of, uh, of another protein that got called zonulin, which then creates leaky guts, which can happen even if you don't have celiac. So yes, some things can be bad, but if there was this theory that if you're eliminating your food for a period of months and then you reintroduce it after a certain amount of months and you have a response to it, then you are intolerant to it. But actually you eliminating this food, you didn't eat this food for, you can change the microbiome within three days. You didn't eat it for three months. So the bacteria that used to digest this food for you died. And then when you reintroduce the food, you respond to it as intolerance because you, the bacteria died, you didn't have it anymore. You have to build it again. <laughs> So there is, there's a lot of these misconceptions in health, which are uh, being cracked now as more research is coming out and we're understanding it like there is no one diet that's going to fit everybody and, and exercise. Not all exercise is good. It has to be smart exercise. So I, I think that's a nice combination of, of the future where we understand more about our biology so we can cater our habits and all the things with an investor time and money into that it really does pay off for long-term health. Wonderful. Can you walk us through, if people are interested in, in learning more or getting their own glycan age tested, can you walk us through, you guys send out home kits, like what that process is like. You talked a little bit about the consultation after, but from ordering your kit through consultation, can we, could you paint us a picture of what that looks like? Yeah, so you, it, 
we have a consumer side. We work with clinicians as well. So if you are looking for a specialist, like for example, menopause, then a specialist is better than to go consumer. But on our consumer platform, you can buy two types of packages. One is one test with a follow-on consultation. And another one is two uh, with a consultation and intervention in between and then a follow-on after. Um, it's a very simple test. You do at home. Didn't used to be. So before it was whole blood. So you had to go to a clinic, we draw blood, then we had to separate plasma and then ship that to lab, which was logistically complicated for, for both sides. Now it's a simple kit you get home and then you pick your finger. You need about four drops of blood. So it's not one of those little veils. It's like a little uh, piece of paper and then only four drops. So it's not too complicated. We see most people do well with it. Uh, you leave it out to dry for about an hour. When it dries, it's stabilized. And then you put it back in the post and it can be stable in the post up to two weeks. So it can be really shipped internationally. So that's uh, lots of markets in the uh, US, UK, across Europe, but also Canada, New Zealand, Australia. We, we can go anywhere we can, where we last for two weeks in the post. Uh, that goes to the lab. That It's 10 days of chemical steps. So it's quite a long process. And uh, glycans are complicated to analyze because they're brand structures, so they're not you can't sequence them like the genome. Uh, and then that report is ready, goes to your dashboard, you get notified, you're uh, suggested a specialist. So if you have a health profile to fill in, and if you fill it in, we customize a specialist. So if you have certain symptoms, we'll say, okay, this person needs a nutritionist or uh, somebody more focused on sports or mental health or hormones, and then. You have a nice conversation. They tell you if your result is already good, then you discuss what can you do further. If it's not so good, you discuss how to change that. And then hopefully you implement that and then you validate that that actually works from the biology perspective. Yeah, that is pretty simple. I the, you know, I've done the the home kit for testing my blood type years ago because I didn't know my blood type. And it's as simple as what testing your glycans are prick your finger and drop it on a you know piece of paper yeah. and <laughs> well that it's easy because you get the results straight away oh, right away yeah this yeah, is yeah. complicated because it goes to lot. so that's well from from the consumer yeah. point of view it's as easy you just have to wait it's for other easy. people to do the work <laughs> well okay. i know we, we talked off air and i wanted to kind of end the conversation since this is a more women's focused show about how glycans and the research with perimenopause and, and hormonal stuff. Could you talk to us a little bit more about the research and the, the biohacking that's been going into that topic in women's health? Yeah, so that's a very new field for us. We didn't expect it until we became commercial. We didn't always see a gender difference in aging. So we saw that men are very simple. They just move in a straight line. So they accumulate the bad, lose the good. Women have a curve which was different and it would really happen somewhere. So they would have a better glycan age or immune age and reproductive age. And then they will have quite a rapid shift around menopause. And we thought that we didn't have any menopause data. We just know about the age range that it happens around menopause. And I think the average was age 45. So it was a little bit earlier. And then as we were in the market, when we kept, um, I think about, 25% of our customers are women around menopause. They will keep getting higher results and everything else will be great. There will be 
in terms of their lifestyle habits, there wouldn't be anything we can point out and say, hey, this is something you should be improving. And they would still have a cycle, but they would have all of these symptoms related to declining hormones or menopause. And we realize actually this happens before you enter menopause. It happens in perimenopause. Uh, and, and that was new. So we're also developing a diagnostic for because right now you don't have good diagnostics. It's all reliant on symptoms. And if you're measuring hormones, they fluctuate so much. So you never get the, the one day you're normal, the other day you're abnormal. It, it doesn't really uh, give you a reliable result. So how we try to explain this from the uh, diagnostic perspective, it's like a, if you know a HbA1c, but it's like a long marker of glucose because the glycans have a long half-life. This is a long marker of estrogen levels. And it makes sense from the immune perspective. So we do have a better immune system. Uh, we you also have a little bit more tendency to result to immunity. Uh, but if you're talking about the flu, there's a reason we have a demand flu. It's a different type of disease. They're not wrong. They have a different immune system. Uh, and then also women have more diseases post-menopause. So although we live about five years longer on average, post-menopause, we're more prone to disease. So it does damage our long-term health. And it's something that happens to every woman. So it's not a, we, we can't at the moment stop it. So we have to deal with it the best we can. And one problem with the perimenopause side is that you, there's no test, simple tests you can run. Um, you have all of these symptoms, which can go up to, I think there's 45 or up to even 70 different symptoms. A lot of them can be something else. So you would have anxiety, depression, um, muscle pains. These would mainly be misdiagnosed with depression. Majority in UK, we have data where over 66% of the women uh, are misprescribed antidepressants for menopause symptoms. They would get diagnosed with fibromyalgia, or they would have heart palpitations, get referred to cardiologists, and they don't find a problem. They still give them the medication. So you can have all of these, uh, a lot of mental health related. And then how that menopause is diagnosed at the moment, you wait a year that you haven't had a cycle, plus one day. And then you're allowed to be diagnosed with menopause and you're allowed to access uh, therapy for it. But imagine if it was any other, imagine if it was diabetes. So say, oh, you have to have it for a year at least, plus one day. And then also the 10 years before you had the symptoms of it, we can't also diagnose you or give you medication. So it's insane. Um, and we had trials already, which were well controlled. So inside, if it's placebo controlled, then you know that intervention is actually making an impact. And we see that first, as women enter menopause, their rate of aging is more than double. And we see that average change is about nine years. That can go up to 30 years. So it can go, and particularly the much younger women in terms of immune age, age much more rapidly as they enter menopause, which is also interesting. Um, and it can be, at first, it can be prevented with body identical hormone intervention. So in the UK, we call it body identical, but synthesized from wild yams. So it's not the old type of HRT, which was pregnant horses urine. It's the more um, modern, same as molecules as, as we are producing, so the most natural form. Um, and also if you've gone through it and then you go on therapy, we see the average reduction is about seven years biologically after three months and 10 years after six months. So it's very predictable and it's not okay yes the biological age changes but they feel different because they they had all of these issues and, and i think there's still a debate for the same as with aging that's natural 
So it happens to everybody. Aging happens to everybody. So hence, we shouldn't do anything about it because it's nature. But if you think like that, then diabetes is natural. Cardiovascular, everything is natural. Every single disease is natural. It's not unnatural. And if it's the inflection point, because aging is, and menopause is, it's an inflection point to all the age-related diseases coming later, then if you deal with it as uh, the inflection, then you're preventing all of the later diseases that come. And we know this for osteoporosis, even dementia, cardiovascular disease, all of this is accelerated with menopause and can be prevented with the right type of intervention. And if you think about it as, a, as an organ or a hormone deficiency, then yes, menopause is a hormone deficiency. You're not producing those hormones any, anymore and that organ's not working anymore. So if you're not addressing it, then same as diabetes and the other thyroid disease, your body is suffering because of it. And you're having all of these um, complicated, well, you, we have estrogen receptors everywhere from brain, lung, heart. So all of it is suffering and it should be treated. Now, I think very little percentage of women do it and they usually do it when they've suffered a lot. So they've really gone through a lot of pain and they're like, okay, now I will try this. But actually all of that fear is also based on some very poor science done over 20 years ago where they exaggerated uh, the risk and it was very politically driven. It's known that some of the reviewers were biased some of the data was misrepresented. So they said estrogen, all types of HRT cause increased risk of breast cancer. But then the estrogen alone, there was no increased risk of breast cancer. And then this, and that was very old type of HRT. So that was a pregnant versus urine one. And that didn't cause extra, but the combined HRT, so the progestogen and estrogen had a small increased risk, which was 1.26%. Uh, and if you compare this to cancer risk for smoking, uh, it's a 20 27.6% increased risk of lung cancer from smoking. So if you're talking about it's nowhere near the, the risk, and also now we have better versions of progestogen. There's micronized progestogen, so it's also the natural type. And this, the progestogen that was vilified is in the contraceptive pill. So it's not, I think it all comes back to this aging side where we say it's natural, so we don't treat it. But if we treat it as a, as a condition or as a decline, then really we can tackle all of the problems that come later by tackling one thing. Oof. Yeah, we could have a whole podcast. I have, I will link the other shows. We've had a few, few complete episodes, one episode just with menopause. Um, the company's called Meno Labs. They all sorts of supplements, but mainly they deal with probiotics and helping women who are going through perimenopause and menopause rebalance out their micro gut biome. And we have a whole episode about bioidentical hormone therapies and alternative therapies for pelvic floor strength and relaxing your pelvic floor. So all these things we were talking about, Nina was talking about, we, I'll link the episodes that go more in depth because it's so important, no matter what age you are, I'm in my thirties and I'm like, I, I want to learn about this now, because like you said, if you treat it like a deficiency, like you would anything like diabetes or cardiovascular, anything else, you might as well start, start tending to your garden. Now I like to like, look at my health as, as a garden the weeding out the bad stuff and putting in that diversity through vegetables, working out, you know, mindfulness, whatever have you. And it'd be interesting to see what you said last about the vilified hormones, estrogen in contraception. 
if there's any research being done, because, you know, I know millennials, most, most of them are on contraception and to see if you've been taking that from, you know, maybe your whole reproductive years through menopause, what research, if there is any, I'm interested in looking to, to do with increased risk of cancer or just maybe even your, your glycan age, like what, what, what are the actual effects? Yes, they do help with contraception preventing it, but what are the long-term effects hormonally from this? Cause I know I, I have been off of it for over 10 years and it did take me a while. Once I came off of it, I had weird hormonal simple symptoms pop up from coming off of it. My body was like, what am I doing? Cause when you're on, this is my little tangent and I'll be done when you're on contraception, you're you, you bleed every month, but that actually is not your period. I don't think people realize that it's not a real period. Your body thinks it's pregnant the entire time and you stop and it bleeds, but it's not an actual real period. But anyway, is there any research done with like long-term contraception that you know of? It actually, no. And also that it wasn't estrogen. So estrogen was never, estrogen alone was never linked with increased breast cancer. Yeah. Uh, it was the progestogen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for correcting synthetic me. Synthetic progestogen. And it was a very small increased risk. So even that synthetic form wasn't that much of an increased risk. Uh, with contraception, there was some good data I saw with reduced risk of ovarian cancer. So I don't think it's all bad, yeah. um, but we definitely don't personalize it. There is definitely a lot of women who, yeah, I really respond to it wrongly. So it doesn't work for me. It changes my mood in a very angry way. So, and, and I tried a few times. Um, so it definitely doesn't work for everybody. And there was certainly, there certainly has to be better forms of it. So I very much like what's happening in the menopause space where it's body identical. I have not heard of body identical contraception yet. It's all synthetic and it's much higher doses of hormones than you would actually, then actually goes into HRT or body identical HRT. So I don't think enough is researched on it. Um, and I think women's health in general is, is very neglected. So any type of women's problems, so PCOS, endometriosis, all of these things take sometimes up to a decade to diagnose. I think for endometriosis, it's nine years, but PCOS is seven years until you're diagnosed. So I think women's health is a very neglected space. I know a few startups who are trying to decode uh, personalized contraception, and we did have some, uh, we, we looked at, um, no, we just looked at cycles. We didn't have any contraception intervention, but we know that doesn't have a big impact on your glycanate, or we haven't seen it so far, but I'm pretty sure there is cases of women where it, it just wouldn't work for them or it may have. And I think that's mainly based on some of the symptoms um, and mental health. I think, and also there, there's other research that came out that being on a contraceptive changes our preference towards a partner. So if we if we find a partner while we're taking, then we take, go off it. Our preference will change. We'll be with the wrong person. Uh, I'm kidding, but but that was interesting. I read it and I was like, okay, this is this is that's one more reason not to actually exactly <laughs> to a, a different way to cope with it. Yeah, I, I've seen, I've seen that as well. And I think correct me if I'm wrong. I remember reading like when you are on contraception, you're looking. This is a very generalized statement. 
for for familiarity or, or somebody maybe not more feminine but you're looking when you're not on contraception you're looking for that biodiversity in a way it's like what from a biological standpoint that's what i read i don't know if it's true or not but yeah. that is interesting to think about as you're trying to find find a partner or have a partner um but yeah that's interesting and i do i do have to preface just be it is very bioidentical or bio it should be bioidentical for each person for contraception. Cause I do know a lot of women out there who, you know, have PCOS or some type of other, um, either hormonal imbalance or physical diagnosis that contraception does work for them. And I'm not saying I'm not judging anybody that is on it. I have to preface it that way. I know for me personally, it sounds like Nina as well, emotionally, physically, it just, it just wasn't, my body did not, did not like that. I've had close family members who have developed um, blood clots from contraception and almost died. So for me, that's where I'm coming from. Um, some people at work, some, some people, some people it doesn't just, just like with diets. So make sure you listen to your body. That's why I've started the show that your body is not in the way all these symptoms are just trying to tell you, Hey, something's wrong. Change it up. You know, do your research. Um, yeah, and glyconages could be something that could help you. Um, I just looked at the time, Nina. We just flew through this episode. Was there anything else about glycans, health, science, hormones that you want to just wrap up before we start to close down the show? No, I think that that that's it for me. Yeah, I. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. I I know I learned a ton on this episode. And I love having more science or layman science, as you beautifully explained it all to us in a, in a way we can understand. And we end every show the same way. Thank you so much for coming on here. How may we, the listeners, as an act of gratitude, be of service for you and return today, Nina? So I will keep it quick. I would say, talk to your friends about menopause. People don't talk about it. Your mother probably didn't talk to you about it. And we're completely unprepared. Like it hits us we're completely blind to it. So talk to them about it. Stop making it a taboo um, and, and be prepared. I love it. I love it. I love it. And if you guys resonated with this show, if you thought of a friend, a sister, your mom, please make sure to share this episode with your loved ones. If you haven't already, hit subscribe button. And if you would be so kind, write us a review. Let us know if you love this episode or if you love what you want us or maybe not in between. This helps us get the word out about menopause and about glycanage and beautiful people who have passionate startups like Nina to help spread that word and help us all take back our health, wealth, and our happiness. So thank you so much, Nina, for coming on the show. It was such a pleasure chatting with you today. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. And remember, open up, surrender, trust, and let your body lead the way.